Would you open, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We, a couple of weeks ago, I was here, and, and, and we looked at part of this prayer of Paul's in Ephesians 1. I, I felt, I just love this, just how it has gripped me in my own studies. I just wanted to bring the rest of this to you, and I trust God will bless it. But Ephesians 1... Uh, the text probably for today best would be 19 through 23. It's, it will focus primarily on 19, but it's in a context. It's a prayer of Paul's which follows the, the long sentence of chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, where Paul lays out the spiritual blessings that we are all blessed with. And that's verses 3 through 14. Glorious truths that in the phrase us and we and our is repeated. So what Paul is laying out in these glorious truths of election and predestination and redemption and forgiveness and all those things that he mentions there, it's the foundation of the spiritual unity of Christ's church. There are no haves and have lessers. We are all equally chosen, all equally predestined, all equally forgiven, all equally redeemed, and so forth. And so the us and the we and the our is repeated through this section, which is kind of encouraging to see the, the spiritual unity. This is the unity prayed for, really, in John 17, and then, which we'll learn more from your pastor when he finishes his book, um, which we're looking forward to. <laughs> um, but whether you feel like it or not, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are the us and the we and the our. Okay. It's beyond feeling. It's, it's objective truth. You just have to believe by reading. And then you come to verse 15 and following in the book of Ephesians. And this is Paul's prayer. It, verse 15, for this reason. Well, the reason he just said all these glorious truths, he's going to then be moved to pray on behalf of those who are in that verses 3 through 14. And it's interesting. He's praying for believers. And as we said last time in verse 18... He says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know and you'll notice three things that follow that he wants the believer to know and therefore I would want us to pay attention to this and learn from Paul on how to pray for the saints. Okay, How to pray for the saints. It's not the only way to pray, but this is a good start. Right? Um, yeah. Verse 18. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. One. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The second one. The third one, verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Last time we spent our time in verse 18 and the first two there on what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And when we did that, we said what Paul is asking of God to show to the saints and what he wants us to come to grips with and understand is something that we already possess as believers. These are resources that are already ours. The hope of his calling is the future aspect of the gospel. We looked at that last time. Hope is futuristic. Hope is not past. Hope is future. What is your hope of the calling? The calling is the upward call of God. It's the hope of eternal life. It's the hope of glory. It's the confident expectation that what God has promised in the gospel, he will provide and accomplish. He wants us to get a grip on that. He wants us to set our sights on the heavenlies, as Colossians 3 would say. Set your mind on above where Christ is. 
Okay, this is the hope of your calling. And we flesh that out and spend time looking at that. And the second one in verse 18, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We said... And I still stand on it. This is not our inheritance in God, though there's other places that speak of that, and that is a truth. But this is God's inheritance in his people. In other words, this is how God sees you. You are the riches of the glory of the saints. Man, right? And we saw from Zephaniah and Isaiah and different places how the Lord says he exults, he dances, I mean, can you get that out of your mind? The living God of the universe, it says he dances around his people out of joy. He not, and we said, not only does he love you, and a lot of us will accept that because it kind of puts it in a special case, but he actually likes you. Right? He actually likes me. Man, I wish I could get away from me sometimes, but I can't, man. And God actually wants me in his presence. And through Jesus Christ, I'm fully accepted and he actually likes me. And he rejoices over his people. His church is precious to him. This is what he wants Christians to realize. When you get down and you get depressed, you need to stop it and you need to preach to yourself according to Psalm 42 and you need to remind yourselves of these truths, right? Yes, we're weak and we go through some hard times and there are... um, understandable reasons to be depressed and down but it's not it's not acceptable <laughs> for a Christian because these truths are real and this is what Paul's saying I want you to realize the hope of your calling and I want you to realize how much God adores you and that you are a treasure to him that's not Caleb's stuff that's gospel stuff <laughs> right <laughs> and then we come this one I just this excites me. The third one. Not, the two are really good. As Dr. Fox says, it gets gooder. The gooder one is verse 19 to me. It says, and what, the third one in Ephesians 1.19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Oh, my. Right. The request, like the previous two, are already possessed by the believer. This is a resource that's already in your, um, in your bucket. <laughs> this, this is a resource. Do you know what a bandolero is? Like, in, in my mind, I have a picture of Pancho Villa, like this, you know, the, the Mexican revolutionary, right? And he has these belts that go across here full of bullets. Those are bandoleros, right? These, this is like a bandolero. These three what's. And this... Right here, this bullet, that's the hope. And this bullet over here, that's how much God loves me. And this other bullet in my bandolero, I already have it. It's in my bandolero, man. It's right here, right? Is the power of God. Man. So he's not telling you to go find power, right? He's not telling you to go find a source of power. He's not telling you to do any of that stuff on TV. He's... (laughs) He's reminding you of what already you have. What is the power? The surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. He wants you to fully realize that which is already yours. You can already see the difference that could make in someone's life, eh? If you live in light of what he's saying here. Not to gain hope, not to gain God's affection, not to gain God's power, but he wants you to realize what you already possess. By virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, this power 
is available to you always, always, just as it was to Jesus Christ when he walked upon this earth. Notice what it says in verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of his power? Now, who's the his of which it speaks? Well, in the context here in verse 17, it's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Father's power. The emphasis here is not on Jesus Christ's power, not on the Spirit's power. The emphasis of this passage is the power of the Father. Okay? The power of the Father. This is what's available to you. It is the power, if you notice in verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When he, God the Father, raised the Son from the dead. This is the, his power that's available to you in verse 19. And the word power is from the familiar word dunamis. Dynamic power. It is the ability to produce action, progress, or to force something to move. What a great... To force something to move. How powerful are you to awaken a dead person to force them to move? That's pretty powerful, you see. The surpassing, in verse 19, notice what it says. What is the surpassing greatness of God's dynamic power? There is no greater force in all creation than God. Do you agree with that? That's Sunday school stuff. We know that, right? But sometimes it just lodges right here. And it never gets to here. And it never gets to here. Right? It just sticks here. Yeah, I know that. My Sunday school taught me that. Of course Christians believe God is all-powerful. And then we live like he doesn't exist. <laughs> That's just not right. So Paul, part of this, I know this, right? Because he's dealing with me, right? A weak believer in Jesus Christ who sometimes falls prey to the devil's temptations and my own sinful weaknesses... Put this on your refrigerator. Remind yourself of this every day. Pray for the saints. It will remind you for your own resources that the power of God, the Almighty, that gave life to the dead corpse of Jesus Christ is available to you 24-7. Therefore, there's no excuses in my life to not be faithful to God. No excuses. Now, I want to spend some time here. Well, by the way, <laughs> I've already forgotten. When am I finished? <laughs> okay. I'm, and I'm serious because I'm sorry. I want to be faithful to Okay. <laughs> you think I would learn. I've been doing this for 20 years, you know. That should be the first thing I ask. What time am I finished? You know what it shows? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in looking at the surpassing greatness of the power of God, God the Father, I want to kind of ricochet through the scriptures a little bit, not to be exhaustive, but enough to beat the drum enough to put it into our heads and remind us of the omnipotence of God. And why that's so important to me is the so what, the ramifications of the omnipotence of God. Okay? If theology doesn't have any practicality, it's utterly worthless. But there's nothing more practical than theology. Because God is the ultimate reality. Okay? Now, omnipotence. What do we mean by that? Obviously, all power. God possesses all power. He does not receive power from any outside source. 
He does not expend or use up his power so as to become less powerful and tired and need to recharge his batteries. Since he possesses all power, all of creation, now get this, all of creation borrows power from the creator. Therefore, God is the source of all power that exists. In other words, our sun, S-U-N, and every other S-U-N borrows its incredible power from the creator. It didn't create its own power. It's not more powerful than God. Those suns are created, and they have power by virtue of God's extension. It's God's power that makes the sun so powerful. Think of that. That's how powerful God is. The power of wind and the power of water. The power of, uh, I don't know anything about this, but how about nuclear fusion? The hydrogen bomb. All that finds its source of power from the Creator. Listen to some of these scriptures, and I have a bunch to go through, and you can just write these down if you like, or just listen to this, but I'm going to go kind of quickly. Psalm 62.11 says of God, Power belongs to God. In Genesis 17.1, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, quote, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. You've been preaching through Genesis, right? El Shaddai in Genesis 17, which is God Almighty. God All-Sufficient. In Revelation 19.6, the voice of a great multitude was heard saying, quote, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. We get so used to the term almighty, we just read through it and it doesn't have any ramification in my thinking. Almighty means he possesses all might. All might that there is to be possessed is fully possessed by the creator. And nothing has power except that God says have power. You see? And there is no power greater the accumulative of all the sons and the power of creation feigns in comparison to the one who said, let there be light. Think of that. That's incredible. And that's my daddy. I don't know what, I don't know what you're dealing with, but it, that's your daddy. You see the ramification already? You, you, you can string that together. It's incredible. It's incredible. I love the study of God. Didn't it make you happy, the study of God? John, you're, you're sharing with me your studies in John, man, and you're exposed to the glories of Christ, and it just thrills your soul. Psalm 89, 13 says, You have a mighty arm. Job 9, 4 says, God is mighty in strength. Nahum 1, 3, Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power. What a cool combination. Slow to anger, that's great. I could be slow to anger and no one would give a rip, but if I was great in power, that'd be a big deal, right? He's not only slow to anger, but he's great in power, right? Psalm 89, 8 says, Oh, Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you? Obviously, nobody. Absolutely nobody. Anybody here believe in the devil in the sense that he exists? Is he more powerful or less powerful than God? End of story. After Moses experienced 
After Moses experienced God's deliverance of Israel from the Egyptian bondage in Exodus, the ten plagues, the dividing of the Red Sea, and the drowning of the most powerful army on earth, he exclaimed, quote, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Nobody. God says numerous times throughout the Old Testament in particular, He says, there is none like me. That's what holy means. Holy means He is set apart, transcended in a class all His own. He is unique. There is no one like Him in power. No one like Him in any attribute whatsoever. I alone in God, says God. Isaiah 48, 13, quote, Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens stretched out the heavens we send up these telescopes to search the far ends of the universe and all the different galaxies and we still haven't found the end and by the way there is an end because it's created and the text says and God says it so it's true (laughs) that he stretched it out like a curtain now in this this uh ancient Israel, what would, be the, what would be in the mind of the listeners when they hear of somebody stretching out a curtain is like the Bedouins and the tents they would throw up and how, how they throw up the, the walls like the tabernacle. They throw up the curtains. They throw up a tent. I don't know if you've ever gone hunting and had spent time in a wall tent or in the military or whatever. It's, it's, that's what God says. The universe is like a tent to God. It's pretty insignificant. And he stretches out the billions of light years of the galaxies like a curtain. How powerful, how immense is our God. He says, I st- by my right hand I stretch out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. When I call to them, they stand up together. They have to pay attention when the Almighty says, pay attention. I like that. That's my daddy. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. Man. Psalm 8.3 says it like this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, look at the poetic license to show the insignificance of creation is the work of his fingers. It didn't take a lot. It wasn't strenuous for God. God wasn't sweating it out. Man, I sure hope I make it to day six. <laughs> it's the work of his fingers, man. David is emphasizing how God created with ease. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, the prophet says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. There's a practical application of the, of the immensity and the almightiness of God. Nothing's too difficult for you. God can make a camel go through the eye of a needle. What's impossible for man is nothing to God. How can a rich man be saved, man? If it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, don't worry about it. Nothing's impossible for God. In Genesis 18, when Sarah mocked God, remember when when she overheard she was going to have a kid when she was like 90 years old, God responded with this to Sarah. Is anything too difficult or wonderful for the Lord? 
the power of God can make a dead womb conceive. And you know what? She gave birth to a son. <laughs> In Luke one thirty-five, it continues. When Mary asked how she would conceive to give birth to a son, when the angel Gabriel told her, she said, being a virgin, how can this be? The angel informed her, quote, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of the Most High. You see, it's the power of the Almighty that gave conception without the normal process. Nothing's too difficult for God. He is omnipotent. All power he possesses. God's so great in power, Jesus would say in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. What would, what would determine what would happen is the will of God and his wisdom and his purposes. But nobody can throw at the purpose of God. Nobody. So something comes into your life, again, this is just a little parenthetical thought here. If something happens in your life, it wasn't because God was overpowered. It's because in his all-wise, glorious way, this was the pathway he had brought for you. Okay? The devil would want us to think that somebody overpowered God or... God doesn't love you or God's forgotten about you. All those are lies from the devil to try to diminish your faith and to destroy your joy. But you know what? We're not going to let it happen. We'll be like Luther and tell the devil to take a hike and go out the side door. You're not welcome here. In this place, we worship the Almighty who is sovereign over the entire universe, including my life. Daniel 4.35, which is one of my favorite places. You remember Nebuchadnezzar when he came to his senses by God's grace after eating like a cow for seven years. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth. This is the testimony of a pagan who's been converted. I think we'll see him in heaven for sure. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He, God, does about his will, according to his will, in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand. Nobody can restrain his hand. Isaiah 43, 13. There is, there is no one who can deliver out of my hand, says Yahweh. I work and who can reverse it? God possesses all power. He is inherently mighty. This is his nature. This is his person. This is what it means to be God. Even the God-man, Jesus Christ, when he came and cloaked humanity and set aside his privileges and prerogatives of being deity, when he walked on this earth, he constantly revealed his power, divine power. You know, you follow the Gospels. Over sickness, over disease, over lepers, over the blind and crippled and deformed, over all creation, including the wind and the sea, and he created food out of nothing. So is God. And you know what? He's immutable. He does not change. The so what of reading a scripture, an ancient text, is the God revealed in the ancient text is a present reality. Because he does not change. He's outside of time. So you can read history and have a relevance. This is not Abraham Lincoln stuff. Right? This is the living word of the living God. And the God who is on the pages of the scripture is the God today. The God Isaiah's bowing down and, the, and the, the one who Peter says when he realized 
when, when, when he realized Jesus was deity in the boat, you remember what Peter said? Get away from me, for I am a sinful man. Right? That's the same Jesus today. It's the same God today. You read the scriptures. You read the epistles. You read the Psalms. The God that's brought to the surface is the God of realities. The God who's relevant right now. I am, not I was. The great I am. He continues to be the great I am. He is in, unchanging, is he not? He is immutable in all of his essence and his character. So when he's almighty then, he's almighty now. Paul wants the Ephesian believers to grasp the power of God, the Father. Amazing stuff. Think of this. Even the demons and the devil had to flee from Jesus when he commanded them. Even death couldn't hold Lazarus. Even death couldn't hold the widow's son in the procession and he taps on the coffin. I love that. Luke 7. Hey, he interrupts a, a funeral. Talk about audacious. <laughs> Excuse me. I need to wake this kid up before you bury him, you know. Because <laughs> he ain't dead. That's amazing. Isn't it? That's our God. That's how powerful he is. Okay? If God is anything, he is extremely powerful. And Paul is praying in our text in Ephesians that believers understand this power and to understand that it is directed towards who? Towards us who believe. Wow. If you go back to, if you wandered away, but go back to Ephesians 1.19. Look at again what it says in 1.19. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, the word surpassing, the surpassing greatness, these are, these are superlatives. Paul just trying in his best way, using language to, to reveal the true God. And the word surpassing is this word to exceed. It means literally to throw beyond, okay? To surpass. It's from a term where we get the word hyperbole from. Now, hyperbole is when you speak of me and you use either really good words to show great or really low words that don't express really the truth, right? You're speaking hyperbole. That's the word used here to speak of the greatness of God. But with God, it's not hyperbole because you cannot go beyond what he is, you see? But in our language, it's a hyperbole. His surpassing greatness. The word speaks of people who exaggerate beyond what's truth. But you can't exaggerate the truth of God. You can't exaggerate the power of God. You can't go beyond it. This is what he says. I want you believers to grasp hold of that which is directed towards you who believe. It is the exceeding greatness, surpassing, marvelous, beyond limits, omnipotence. Man. And you can't exaggerate the power of God. You can't exaggerate His grace. You can't exaggerate His love. You can't exaggerate His glory. His power is great, but it's even beyond great. It's far beyond great. 
In 19, verse 19, notice again, he wants us to understand how great this power is towards us who believe. Towards us. It's because I'm into grammar. I like words. God likes words. This preposition speaks of direction, okay? So it's like, will I get in trouble if I use analogies with weapons in it? I don't think so. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But God is like a 50 caliber. And that's, obviously that doesn't match, but you get the picture here, right? 50 caliber, that's directed toward my good. It, the, the, it's on my behalf. My kid was in Iraq in 06. And when the 50 caliber showed up, the bad guys dropped their guns and went straight to the ground. Because the 50 caliber is bad, Right? That M4 is nothing, <laughs> right? And so my kid said, when they heard those tracks coming with the 50 cal, the bad guys threw the weapon AKs down and went straight to the ground and gave up, right? This is what he's talking about. We need to realize that the, the, the exceeding far beyond power of the Almighty is directed towards us for our good. For our good. Not to take us out, but to keep us going, Think of that. We who believe. It's directed toward us who are believing. Present tense. As in continuously, presently, right now, believing in Jesus Christ. The power of God is directed in our vicinity, specifically those who are believing, walking in faith in Jesus Christ. The dynamic power of God the Father is presently and intentionally focused on each and every believer in Jesus Christ and never will be diverted. It never will go away. It never will overshoot. It'll never fall short. It never, his attention is never drawn away somewhere else. Each and every individual believer is of utmost importance to God the Father. And His power, which is almighty and surpasses any limit you want to put, any level, it's far beyond it, never is not towards you. It is always towards you. And Paul wants you to live in light of that truth. And he wants you to look this world in the eye and tell them... Stand down for my Father's Almighty. See the difference, the, the Christians, the great testimony of the church, of the reality of God, and the so what of the gospel, and the so what of the resurrection, is how we live life in their midst, because we suffer the same things they do, but we don't suffer in the same way they do. We better not. Amen? Amen? We are going to lose loved ones. We are going to have tragedies in our life. We are going to get cancer. We are going to get diseases. That's just part of living in this life. But those who belong to Jesus Christ have the hope of His calling, have to realize that you are a treasure to God, and the all-surpassing greatness of His power is always constantly directed towards you for your good. That makes me respond a little different than those who are shrouded in darkness and under the sway of the devil. (laughs) Amen? The church is to be the light. That's the light on the hill. That's that's the difference that God makes in our lives. If God is just a fair weather God, who needs Him? We have enough of that. But God shows up when the weather gets hard. I mean, He's always here, but He shows off, if I can use a crass term. 
He likes to be glorified. And he's most glorified when you and I are in troubled situations and he shows himself great. That's good stuff. Believer, don't cave. and Don't cower. Don't listen to the devil's lies and don't follow the world's lies. You're God who is omnipotent. Romans 8 says, if God is for you, who can be again you? Right? Didn't say exactly like that, but... <laughs> F-E-R and A-G-I-N. <laughs> right? If God is for you, who can be against you? Why is that a big deal? God who's omnipotent. If he's for you, who would ma- what would it matter who's against you? It wouldn't matter. Because nothing and no one can thwart the purpose of the Almighty. And not only is he omnipotent, not only is his power far surpassing an exaggeration in that sense that it goes beyond the limit, he loves you. That's a good combination, (laughs) right? The one who has all power has infinite affection. Is that thundering or is that me? I told John there, I need to hang on to this thing and not move, okay? And just try to be like Jonathan Edwards. Um, (laughs) His affection and his power is totally focused on our well-being. You know why you'll make it to heaven? There's a lot of reasons, but one of them is this. Omnipotent grace. Omnipotent grace will guarantee you to make it to heaven. Right? Omnipotent grace will lift you up. The omnipotence of God and the love of God will lift you up, will will give you the grace to persevere through trials and tribulations in this world and will carry you on to glory. Not to worry. Note to church. Not to worry. The omnipotent will carry you through. His grace is unending, his love is infinite, and his power is surpassing. You will make it to glory if you are in Christ. You will survive the tragedies of this life. You will, you will survive the sorrow. You will survive the, the, the mourning of this life, M-O-U-R. You will survive the sadness. Not only will you will survive, you will flourish through the trials and tribulations because the omnipotent God is for you. This is what Paul is praying for. Why else would he pray this? Right? He's praying to those who are in Christ Jesus and have every spiritual blessing, whether you feel like it or not. But you know what? He wants you to feel like it. Assurance is subjective. Security is objective. He not only wants us to read the scriptures and be secure and know the objective truth of why I'm secure in Christ, but he also wants, to us, wants us to enjoy the security. He wants me to not live in doubt and floundering around boy I sure hope I make it no 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 he wants me to enjoy that which he has purchased on our behalf he wants me to enjoy the salvation he wants me to rejoice in sufferings because I am saved I will always be saved by the grace of omnipotent God it's not and when I say it's it's the perseverance of the saints because of the power of God he wants us to know that and he wants us to live in light of that 
He doesn't make us arrogant, doesn't make us trivial, doesn't make us sinful and licentious. It makes us thankful, it makes us humble, it makes us passionate, it makes us immovable in following Christ Jesus. I will endure suffering for the glory of God because of the omnipotent grace of God. We will not deviate. Oh, it's getting tough in this world. Who cares? Of course it is. What would you expect? It's like telling a Marine he's in combat. Hey, bulls, they're shooting at me. No kidding. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> you should worry if they don't shoot at you. <laughs> but God wants us, through Paul, to have an understanding. He wants us in verse 19. He wants us, get this, what is the surpassing greatness of his power? He wants us to grab hold of that Supremacy, that, 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 that beyondness of his power. We want, he wants us to see and understand that his power is beyond limits. And look at where he goes with this in verse 19. Oh, this is good. This is in accordance. Verse 19, my New American Standard has it like this. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are, that's italicized, in accordance, in harmony with the working, notice, of the strength of his might. He's just piling on words for power here. This is one after another, after another, after another. He wants to get the full orbed effect of the deal here is that God is so powerful, the surpassing greatness of his power is in harmony with the working of that power, which verse 20, what is the greatest expression of the omnipotence of God according to scripture is not creation, it's not sustaining creation. It's the resurrection of Christ. Look what it says in 20. Which he brought about in Christ. The, the, this working of the strength of his might. Which he brought about, put in action, made known in Christ. When, timing, historical event. He, God the Father, raised him, the Son, from the dead. And seated him, his right hand in the heavenlies. This is glorious. This is this is worth a book we won't write, but um, the, the, the power that he wants us to get etched into the cranium of my brain so that it never goes away. How do I know God is surpassing in power? Look at the empty tomb. Look at the empty tomb. Because the language is so amazing here. Verse 20. When he raised him from the dead. Literally, when he raised him out from the dead. Get this. Out from the dead. The, the language is implying and giving the picture that when Jesus Christ was crucified and actually died and went into the tomb and to the grave, he was in the midst of the dead ones. Okay? It's like a realm. Sheol. Right, is, is the realm of the dead. Jesus Christ actually, right, literally actually died. The God-man, the, hum, the humanity of Christ. If he didn't actually die, then he's not your savior and we're going to go to hell. But he, he did actually die, right? He went into the midst, into the realm of the dead ones, like everyone who's gone before and everyone who has physically died, they too go into the realm, the, 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 the sphere of the dead ones. The power of the Father came into the realm of the dead ones in verse 20 
and overcame the realm. And who's the kingdom of the realm of the dead ones? Satan. Okay? He was given that power according to Hebrews. Okay? So the resurrection is an evidence of the victorious kick and tail God who entered into foreign land, Sheol, into the grave, and by omnipotent grace, omnipotent power, raised up, gave life to Jesus Christ, and delivered him from the grave. The grave could not hold Christ. You think it wanted to? You think the grave wanted to hold Christ just one more day? If he did, scriptures refuted. Scripture's done. God's a liar. You don't think the devil's hanging on trying to keep Jesus into the grave? God's power entered into the grave and gave life to Jesus Christ. And he victoriously raised from the dead. The bars of death were broken open. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, says Jesus Christ. And so it can't because it didn't hold him. This is what Paul is saying. If you want to get... Emotional, you want to get you want to get this into the fabric of your thinking. Look at the grave of Christ, look at the tomb of Christ, and see what happened there when the power of God delivered him from death. That's what's available to you every single moment of every single day, Christian. Why do we flounder around like this? Oh, I'm so get out of here. God is omnipotent, right. I need you to kick me. Because <laughs> that doesn't give glory to God. That's not humble. That's unbelieving. <laughs> That's not humble. That's unbelieving. If I live in light of omnipotent God who rescued and delivered Christ from the grave and overcame the devil. Notice what else in verse 20 it says. Seated him at the end of verse 20. Not only delivered him from the grave, but he seated him at his right hand. It took, apparently, omnipotence to place Jesus at the right hand of God. Probably because there's many opposition in the angelic realm that would love to divert that and keep that from happening. But there's no contest. God's surpassing omnipotence not only delivered Christ from the grips of death, but at the same time, rose him up and seated him at the privileged place in glory. That, so why does that picture, why does Paul put that in our minds? As with Christ, so with you. Are you not promised also to sit on the throne with Christ? Now you're getting beyond my pay scale. That's amazing. Right? There's places in Scripture that speak about believers Read the letters to the churches in Revelation. You're going to sit on a throne with Christ. You talk about incredible grace. It's the power of God to put him there. It's the power of God that's going to put you there. And it's the power. That power is available for you right now. To walk and live faithfully for Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to battle sin. It's the power of God to battle temptation. It's the battle of God to endure persecution it's the power of God that sustains you to endure suffering with joy with joy that's a gift from God is it not 
I have to take you just a couple verses here, and then I'll be finished. <laughs> but go with me, please, to Romans 15. I got five verses here that I want to take you to real quick. Or you can write them down. Sorry. But I want you to see the so what of this power. Okay? It's, it's the power delivered Christ from the grave. It's the power that seated him at the right hand. It's the power that... Uh, that exalts Christ to his rightful place, the rest of Ephesians 1. I'm going to let you read that on your own. I'm going to skip over to these verses. Romans 15, 13. Notice what it says. And notice the connection here between peace and joy and hope and power. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that result you will abound, abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a prayer request. To abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that apparently it takes the power of the Spirit to abound in hope. Because this is a tough world. Isn't it? The tough world. Go to Philippians 3, please. This is one of my favorite ones. Philippians 3. 1 verse 10. Look at the connection here of power and suffering because you will suffer you know that many of you have already suffered many are suffering now and many of you will suffer again but have courage beloved look at Philippians 3.10 he says that I may know him speaking of Christ and what does it mean to know Christ in this way verse 10 the power of his resurrection that's what Paul's praying back in Ephesians 1 the power that raised him from the dead. He says here, to know Christ intimately and personally is to know the power of his resurrection. To know it intimately. To know it experientially. Can we say that? We're into experiencing God according to what God says, right? We don't want to go beyond and make up our own phony stuff. But there is an experience with God. He's living. He's real. Don't let that be stolen from us. Right? He loves, and loves to make himself known. And here Paul says that, 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 that I want to give up everything to have a personal, intimate, experiential walk, knowledge, life with Jesus Christ. And what that would mean is to know the power of the resurrection. And in what context? Look at the rest of the verse. In what context? And the fellowship of his what? Sufferings. He wants... You know how you come you know how you come to experience the power of the resurrection is to have fellowship in his sufferings. Because if you're not having fellowship in his sufferings, you won't need the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection shows up, if you will, when you are having fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Because that's when God shows up. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, I don't read him a lot, but he said this. Suffering is the megaphone of God. In other words, that's when we hear him most clearly. And it's the power of the resurrection that we come to grips with. We come to experience. We come to taste it. Yeah. So much so, and some of you know what I'm talking about. It's so unexplainable I almost look forward 
to trial. Because I've known him in ways I've never known him before. And uh, I, I say that with fear and trembling. Um, not brash, I hope. But I have tasted of him and he is good. Second Corinthians 12. Please. Of course, this is a famous text where Paul speaks of in his weakness, power is perfected. This is glorious. Just a couple verses in 2 Corinthians 12 verses. Um, let's see. 9 and 10, you know the context here. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh because God didn't want him getting proud and arrogant because of the, ex- the, uh, the surpassing greatness of the revelations that were given to Paul as a privilege of God. He was shown things no one else was able to see. And God says in verse 9, when after Paul asked three times that the thorn in the flesh would be removed... Now, there's debate on what the thorn in the flesh is. Can we at least say this? It hurt. (laughs) It was a pain. I don't know if you ever picked blackberries, but man, those suckers get in you and it's a thorn in the flesh. So, it's pain. It's suffering. It's physical. I'm sure. A messenger of Satan. That sounds like a demon to me. But anyway... He has pain. He has trials. He has suffering. Physical ailments. Something. He prayed three times to God to remove it. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected. It's matured, notice, in weakness. You see, God shows up when we are lowest. Because that's when he magnifies himself. His power is perfected in weakness. Why is that a big deal? Because no one then can say that you did this. And no one will doubt it had to be God. He goes on and says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Wow. That's resurrection power. Go to Colossians 1. I've just got two more here. A couple more. Colossians uh, 1. This is written from the same Roman house arrest of Ephesians and Philippians. Colossians writes, chapter 1, look at verse, look at verse, uh, for context, 10 and 11. He's praying for them so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him. This is the walk that that walk worthy is what follows. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice increasing. You're gaining knowledge, not just head, but personal experiential knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For what purpose? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. It takes the power of God to keep us in the pathway of God. Steadfast faith. Patient faith. When would I need patience? How about when I'm enduring trials, temptations, tribulations, disappointments? You fill it in. Does it not take the pace? It takes power. 
to stay the course. Don't deviate. One other place in Colossians 1.29. He says in, in 28 and 29 of Colossians 1. He says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. There's our philosophy of ministry, right? Why? Look at 29. For this purpose that just mentioned, also I labor, I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. So you see, Paul's working, but it's only because of the working of God in him. And the power that raised up Jesus Christ is the same power, same words, same, same thematic idea. The, the, the omnipotence of God in this text, 29, is, is working in and through Paul to faithfully proclaim Christ. Why would it take power to proclaim Christ? Because the world hates you. Because it hated him first. Think of, think of how many times do you have to get hit in the head with a rock for preaching Christ before you say, you know what? I'm kind of sick today. <laughs> I'm going to let someone else preach. Because every time I preach, someone throws a rock at me and hits me. You know? It takes power to get up and go. That's for any daily walk, Christian. Finally, Ephesians 3. Verse 20. Kind of sums up what we're saying here. This ought to light a fire in us. Right? 3.20 and 21, Paul writes, Now to him who is able, that's a power word as well, ability, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. You know what that means? We don't ask or think high enough. <laughs> We're miserly. Because he has the ability to go beyond it. According to the power that works within me. There's that power again. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Paul's praying that believers come to grips with the hope of the calling with how much God treasures you and loves you and the power that raised Jesus Christ and seated him in glory at the right hand is available to you to live a faithful life for God 24-7 let those truths percolate in your soul and may the spirit of God stir us inside to look at this world with a, with a gospel boldness. And let us, let us attempt great things for God. Amen? Let us, let us live bold in the power that He provides. You know what? Because you are nine foot tall and bulletproof. And think of this. The moment you miss your next breath... And the moment God says to your heart, quit beating, you're going to be in glory. God guarantees it. Your spirit will go to be with Christ. It's the power of God that secures that. It's the power of God that guarantees that. So let us go out for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You. For the truths of your power, help us to live in light of these things, Lord. Please 
Use us for your glory. Use us to advance your kingdom. Use us to edify and mature the saints. And Father, we pray for any of those here who have not repented, are not believing in Jesus Christ, are outside the church. I ask that you would open their eyes and your power would come and give life to that which is once dead. And bring them to yourself and add them to your church. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.